0: Well, good morning. You can be turning in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Hebrews 10. It'll take us a little while to get there, as we have some other passages we will look at uh, on the screen. How encouraged are you right now? What kind of a grade would you give, you give yourself on encouragement? A, being very encouraged, you know, down to a C, you're kind of so-so, and maybe you're very discouraged, and you'd give yourself a poor grade. Uh, we want to talk about encouragement today. Encouragement is largely about our hope for the future. What do you, what do you see ahead? That's generally how the emotional side of encouragement goes. What, do we have anticipation that things will be okay? Do we have the right perspective? As we continue our study of one another, that phrase in the New Testament, we're going to be looking at the concept of encouraging one another, looking at several different phrases related to our encouragement. I don't want to oversell this, but I think I'm on real solid biblical grounds to say that the most vital key to your spiritual encouragement is usually the people in this room, people who are part of your church. A key to encouragement is knowing that there are people who will stand with you, whatever your circumstances are. So let's think about Encouraging one another. Think about things that happen at this address. 3420 Highway LL, Port Washington. Is a a place where there are people who are called to encourage each other. Christ designed the church. And it's his word that says we are to encourage one another. So you are not stuck at the grade you gave yourself. If we are to encourage one another, we can, we can be more encouraged because we have encouraged one another. A first part of that that I'd like us to look at today is a statement uh, we find repeatedly in the New Testament. It's about greeting one another, greeting one another. Um, greetings are normal in our human relationships in, in Kansas in the farm culture I, I grew up in when you're driving down the road you wave at everybody Okay, there aren't that many people but that's why you wave at everybody you are expected to wave because either you know them or they know you or they, they know your vehicle and, uh, and so you wave and actually people talk about people who don't wave because you're supposed to wave to one another that's a greeting that's good It's good What we're talking about today is even more, and even better, to greet one another. Let's take a look at the uh, passages. First thing you do at church is you greet one another. Romans 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. Did you do that today? All the churches of Christ greet you. Similarly, 1 Corinthians 16, greet one another with a holy kiss 2 Corinthians 13, 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Peter 5, 14, greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. It comes at the end of these four epistles where Paul is giving his greetings and urging, and then Peter urging the people to be sure not to neglect greeting one another. Now, I don't know if those verses weird you out a little bit. I think what they're really saying is, greet one another normally, but with a very special warmth, because of your relationship to Christ. Middle Eastern greetings often did involve a, a kiss on each cheek. Some uh, European countries, Americans, we tend to uh, shake hands or hug if we know each other uh, better, we're more close. I don't think this is saying do something extremely awkward with a person you barely know. This is saying, though, be vulnerable enough that you go beyond your comfort zone in greeting one another warmly. The holy kiss implies there's a spiritual element, doesn't it? It implies we're talking about believers greeting one another when they see one another. It's, This meeting is very special. Coming here together is very special. It is the plan of Christ for his church. And so it wasn't to be awkward, definitely not sensual, but definitely more personal than we probably ever imagined. Because we share experiences in Christ, because of our joint faith in Christ. We should be able to tell in our greetings that we have an appreciation for one another because of our appreciation for Christ. Peter changed the language a little bit from holy kiss to kiss of love. Uh, If you were here last week, you know we talked about the two main words that the New Testament uses for love one another. When you find that phrase, it may be using a term agape or a term phileo. Agape love, we saw, was more the love of God. That's the term used when he loves us, especially, and we are to love each other like God loves us. But just as legitimate is phileo love, which is more affection between brothers, phileo Philadelphia, brotherly love. And you would have thought that when Peter said a kiss of love, he would have used phileo because that's what it is. It's affection for one another. But he didn't. He used agape I would think so deliberately because I think he was trying to raise the bar from the normal human affection to say, actually, greet each other with a kiss that reflects the affection of God. So we're saying, I am committed to you. We are family. And so there is a special closeness to our greeting. So, what is this? What do these. Versus mean force. It means we should greet one another, first of all. We need to greet one another, and it should be personal, and it should even be physical. Now, there are a few people at Open Door who are comfortable with an actual kiss. If it's okay with each other, it's okay. Others are uh, very more, much more American, and so we shake hands. Some hug. Sometimes it's a Christian side hug or the bear hug, depending on so many different things. Already this morning I've seen some high fives. I haven't seen any fist bumps, but I've seen them. It can be a holy handshake, a holy high five, fist bump, hug, kiss. But it's something unique and It's stated these four times plus another time where it doesn't use that phrase, one another, five times in the New Testament we are urged to do this, to greet in this warm sense. Most of us have heard how that children who are in orphanages in different times, in different countries, sometimes are not held. They suffer in their emotional development, sometimes their physical development, if they do not experience physical touch, appropriately and sufficiently. And that's why it's so absolutely, wonderfully normal that, that, that as parents we, we hold, we cuddle, we snuggle, we wrestle, we hug, hopefully generously, because we know we need it. And, and, and in the body of Christ, it should also be normal, appropriate, and personal. What if you came to church and no one noticed you at all? No, no one even saw you. To, to be ignored is to, be, to, to feel unloved, uh, unnoticed, unknown. To be greeted warmly is to be known and loved. I know some people find the touchy-feely, you know, the hug kind of a thing uh, more difficult. Past experiences, culture, personality, sometimes hurt or even uh, abuse, shyness, suspicion, so many reasons why we might just stay back. Maybe that's why we find it in the New Testament, urging us to make sure because it's important. Uh, one other kind of extra observation is that this, this kind of has to do with greeting those who might be newer to the church family, is that it's often harder to approach, this is just this is an observation, this isn't right or wrong, it's harder to approach someone who is single than someone who comes with someone, someone who's a couple. I was in a seminar once with a, a church consultant who, before going to the church officially as a consultant, he would uh, like to make a visit incognito to the church to see you know, how do they welcome people. And he says there is a distinct difference when he would visit alone versus when he came with his wife. It could be any kind of a various social, cultural reasons, but we need to realize this is a universal need. And even with visitors, especially with visitors. Or James says, don't make distinctions if they seem to be more wealthy or not. this, This is a universal need. Greet one another, though this is more directed towards Christian relationships, people who already know each other, how much more people who might be new with us. Though maybe don't actually kiss the church visitors. They'll never come back. Greet one another. Turn with me now, look now, or if you've turned there to Hebrews 10, or it's page 973 if you're using the Bibles we provide. The first thing you do at church is you greet one another, and then it says this the writer of Hebrews says, Let us consider, verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But, instead, let us encourage one another. That's what happens when we do meet. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. I'd like to start with the second phrase, encourage one another. Encourage is kind of the general uh, umbrella that we're looking at today. So the New Testament term for encouragement... The term means, it's basically two words patched together, to call and then to be beside or to be called alongside. And the general idea of how the term is used is one person saying or doing what strengthens another. So because you're together in this relationship, you do something to support this person, something to give them strength. It's used in two basic ways in the, in the New Testament, both of them good, but a slightly different emphasis. One is what we would indeed translate as encouragement, to experience support so that you have hope for the future. That's why sometimes it's translated comfort one another, because in a context of grief, that, that would be the way we would say it. We've got to comfort, we've got to support, we're going to be there with you, you've lost someone, but, but there is hope for the future. So you're basically saying, it'll be okay, and I am here to help strengthen you. But there's another way it's used, and we sometimes see this translated as exhort or urge. To be urged that you should do and can do the right things. That's where it's not just supporting like, it's okay, that's an important one, number one, but also sometimes it's like, come on, you can do it. I want you to do the right thing, and I want to help challenge you and cheer you to do the right thing. I think in this passage, it's more the second, though no doubt it would apply to both. I think it's more the urging, because if you go to the first phrase now, go back in verse 24, let us consider how we may spur, or you may have the word stir, you may have the word provoke, stimulate, it's kind of a kick in the pants, isn't it? It's, it's a strong word to say, I want you to succeed. I want you to be encouraged, but there's, there's an action, there's a, there's a transformation that has to take place for you to be encouraged. Spurred towards what? What is at stake? Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We spent the last two weeks looking at the phrase, love one another. Christ said, it's how people are going to recognize that you're following me. This is core to your relationships. A whole church is really evaluated, I think in God's eyes, by how well we love each other sacrificially, we're committed to each other, we're serving one another. Is any of that natural to us? No, that's supernatural. Love comes from God, 1 John Four, nine. So to do that which is not natural, we'll need some exhortation, some provoking of one another. Whenever you see a, a list of, of how your team is doing, they usually list the home record and the away record. Almost always, the home record is better than the away Why is that? It's better because there is an intangible advantage to encouragement. Because now there is a whole stands of people filled with cheering, wanting you to succeed. We live in a crazy, selfish, terribly tempting world. Our drift is going to be constantly to do the wrong thing. That's our flesh. That's our world. And so we will repeatedly need to come back to home court so that we are going to be cheered to do what is right. Love. Good deeds. Doing the right thing. And that's why this encourage one another is so crucial that we would be in relationships in a small group, a conversation before and after, an adult Bible fellowship, an event where there are conversations that we know each other well enough that we can stir and, and, and challenge and cheer each other to do the right thing. Does every believer have that? Evidently not. Look at verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. The logic is very simple. You cannot be encouraged by your church family if you are not with your church family, you, it's impossible. You cannot be warmly greeted or warmly greet. You cannot be encouraged by or encouraged from your bed, from your sofa, on a shopping trip, on a boat, a bicycle, or even a motorcycle, because you are not with your church family. I'm going to be taking several weeks of vacation this summer, like many of you. And on those weekends, I will miss your encouragement. And you will miss any kind of encouragement I can give to you. We have to realize that the benefits of the body of Christ are withheld to the degree we are absent from the body of Christ. So he says, do not neglect Assembling, meeting—the term he actually used is the—he was borrowing an, uh, a Hebrew term from the Old Testament, well, from the Hebrew culture, anyhow. Synagogue—they formed synagogues, especially during the intertestamental period, from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New. People who couldn't get to the to the temple consistently would begin to gather and have a synagogue meet. We need to—we need to meet physically—is the need. My observation through the decades of church ministry is that the most discouraged and spiritually struggling Christians are also the most disconnected uh, it's it 's also sad if i've then noticed that those same people have neglected through the years the assembling together Now I get it because. I think it's when we're most discouraged that we tend to most avoid people. That's a, that's a natural reaction. That's why when we sense that discouragement, it's like a check engine light that says, I really need my church family. We as pastors, uh, elders, notice when uh, someone's missing for a while, not because our attendance figures matter but because our encouragement matters and and so through the years we often notice patterns how do you change a pattern the only way you make it to where you need to be is to put it on your calendar and it tends to, that that whatever goes on your calendar first oh i've already got something up there we really need To block off meeting together as a spiritual priority, to change a pattern if that's what God is calling us to do. This is not an issue of judgment or measuring our spirituality by an attendance pin. We don't offer them anyhow. It's about our spiritual encouragement, and it's about, we'll see later, the encouragement that you can give to others. Turn with me to... Um, well, no, actually, look at the last phrase here in this verse. Why must we encourage one another? All the more because you see the day approaching. Now, the word day capitalizes referring to uh, the day uh, of Christ's return. It's, it's, it's acknowledging there is an ending point. Jesus says, I'm going to return. See, we, we sometimes assume that our life cycle consists of how... We, we, we evaluate it intrinsically in terms of how old we are, how healthy we are, how, our life expectancy. And he says, you don't know that. First of all, we know accidents happen. The other is, we, we don't know when Christ is coming back. Only the Father in heaven knows. So we don't know the due date. When there's a due date people tend to that you know, people tend to procrastinate. You, I'll work on the paper next week, you know. There's a due date we don't know. And so it is urgent that we make meeting together to encourage one another a spiritual priority. Sometimes people well, but there's there's so many important and fun and family things to do. Family first. Don't really quite have time for the spiritual priority because I've got a family priority. Do we realize that Our family priority is a spiritual priority. How how will we counter, for ourselves, for our family, if you have children, how will we counter the deluge of the world's impact on us, on the, the voices and ideas of friends, the impact of what is found on phones and tablets? How do you counteract that? Without assembling together. Especially want to, I guess, and really congratulate our young families. Uh, I marvel when I see young families walking through the door with infant seats and diaper bags and snacks and coloring books, holding small hands, settling small arguments. And and they're here. And they should be to us, who are empty nesters or other adults, the heroes of our faith. Because they see the church gathering through biblical eyes. It is non-optional. Pretty much everything in parenting is non-optional once they arrive, those children, right? I mean... You're going to have to buy groceries, you're going to have to feed them and make the meals and the nap times and get them to school and do the homework and, and go through discipline and bedtimes and all that stuff is non-optional. And so when I see those families, I know that they are wise beyond their years because they see the gathering of the church as non-optional. Why do we go to church? Personally, I trust it's because we want to grow in godliness. We're saying as we come, because worship and God's word guides my life. That's why you're here. I know I'm preaching to the choir. This is important, you know. Also, we know, though, that meeting with believers encourages us spiritually and we know that someone at church needs me to encourage them that that's a flyover view of why we come on mother's day we were looking at uh, Samson's parents in the old testament and we came uh, we looked at this principle the key issue in godly parenting is not, first of all, about making our children godly. The key issue in godly parenting is being a godly parent. Because that's the only thing we can control, if you will. That's what we're responsible for, is to be a godly parent. That's what this this column is about. Becoming more godly and realizing the role of the church in that. But the second issue is that we're modeling it. And so our children will see that God and his word guides our life. Our children will see that God's people actually encourage mom and dad. Our children will see that my priority is to encourage others. There is an incredible power when our children see us being ministry-minded, others-centered. When they see us serving, they begin to see that's, that's normal Christian living. It's transforming. It's transforming. Obviously, none of these things guarantee our children will be godly. But this is how we model it. If non-optional, non-negotiable involvement in the church family is part of our own authentic, uh, grace-motivated, sincere walk with Christ, at least we know that our children will know someone well who is godly there are so many good things fun things more socially satisfying things more relaxing things came across an article recently entitled when when church is optional you set up your church to fail and the author is describing a conversation he had with somebody who was describing another parent how why they wouldn't be in church the next three months I know through the years as we when our six children were at home, Priscilla often said, and maybe you felt this way too, that she could hardly get anything out of worship or the sermon with all these kids. And I believe that's true. I think it's probably inevitable. But our kids got a more encouraged mom. Because she, she was with other women and they could, they could share parenting battle stories. Redirect their mind towards God's plan. She could receive the encouragement of other older moms who loved our babies. And who some of them still pray for. though they moved away a decade ago. Who will know your child well enough to hug them when they come home from college and tell them that they pray for them? When temptations come to your children as they try out or are exposed to life-altering sin, will there be an army of people back here who know them and care and pray for them? Will there be an extended Christian family who taught their Sunday school classes? Who tolerated their craziness as teenagers? And who will stand as examples, in addition to their parents, of why it's worth it to walk with Christ 40, 50, 60 years. There's so many good reasons to do many good things. But the writer to Hebrew is telling us about the best things, spurring one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another because the time is short. Now to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, where we find this phrase again. There's others we won't be able to look at, but page 958. Paul is describing for the church in Thessalonica the difference between Believers and unbelievers, starting in verse 5, you, you all are sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So, do you realize that you are different than an unbeliever? You are sons of light. Verse 8, since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So, if indeed we are different we need to live different. How's that going to happen? Go to verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Uses that one another phrase in, in, in the original language twice. One another, one another. And in fact, one another, uh, encourage one another and building one another is virtually synonymous. The second phrase is more like a metaphor. Build one another up, edify or build one another, is a construction term illustrating the spiritual idea of, of encouraging one another spiritually. To, be, to, be built up, uh, to build up a house, you know, you lay a foundation and the walls and the roof and you, you finish things off and there's a, there's a whole process and it takes a lot of time. Christian-like life Life is like that. You you add truth upon truth, experience upon shared experience, and and, and you pray for one another, and it's a long process to grow spiritually. Building a house is very hard to do alone. When you get that wall built, you need someone to help you put it in place. If you happen to have an accident and fall off the roof, you need someone Who's going to call the ambulance? It's really hard. But but if you have a crew, all these things become naturally easier. We belong to the day. And there's people all around gathered at this address who belong to the day. And we are the crew that is encouraging, spiritually building one one another up. We are called to an exciting, different way of life. As we greet each other warmly, as we spend time together, as we have a few people we go deep with and who really know us, we can encourage one another. An important part of this should obviously be the one another. We are never told to be encouraged. We are told to be Encourage one another. In other words, we cannot come here to think, how is someone simply going to encourage me? That might be our felt need. But here's the reality. When you focus on encouraging others, you are encouraged. It's like inevitable. Because when you're focused on encouraging others... You come out of your own selfish view and hurt about your own circumstances. They're still there. But as you encourage, seek to build and support someone else, this miraculous thing happens where we ourselves are encouraged. I think one of the most discouraging things about life at any stage is to feel that in some way we don't matter or we no longer matter you matter when you are connected to and invested in your church family there is no retirement from encouraging one another i think some of the most encouraging people that open their bible church are retired where they got, they're free of some of the other heavy responsibilities and they begin to notice people who need encouraged younger people sometimes we they, a person can feel shelved because they're older. I see some who are reaching and getting to know younger people, not intimidated by their youth, and encouraging them. So what does encouragement look like? What does an encourager do? Just sample list. To be thanked is to be encouraged. Just even something that you appreciate in, the, in, in a Sunday morning, your child's youth group experience, whatever it might be. There's people back there serving. There's people up here serving, people in the nursery. Your Sunday school teacher could probably use more thanking your child's Sunday school teacher and your ABF leader. Even elders need encouragement. Thank them. Affirming someone. That's where you simply notice how God is using them, a skill they have, something they do well. It might be, you know, the good grades in school that you affirm their abilities. An encourager listens in person, isn't just waiting to tell their own story, but listens. Phone conversations can be very encouraging. If the person picks up the phone, if the person returns the call, that that phone issue actually becomes very discouraging sometimes and, and what missing by not answering phones sometimes, frankly, you're missing out on encouraging one another. Offering to help. And then actually coming. The offer is great, but then actually coming. Offering to pray and then actually praying. These are encouragements writing notes, cards, texts of encouragement, affirmation, thanks. Bringing flowers, bringing meals, wisely helping out financially. Giving advice when asked now this does not apply to parenting your children will never ask you for advice <laughs> you're just going to give it but adult children advice when asked that's a hard one isn't it warning when you trust it if you go beyond your trust level and warn someone it's not effective it can actually come back and bite you showing grace when someone fails, that's an encourager. This is just a starting point, a starting list. Are we involved in encouraging one another? I'd like to just read a blog I came across entitled, it seems like it's from a younger adult, entitled, Why I Quit Going to Church. Keyword is going. From my early childhood all the way until I was 18 years old, I always viewed church as a place you go, similar to the gym, the movie theater, or even a restaurant. As I was praying and searching for Bible verses about the church, I stumbled across this verse. Stir one another to love and good works. Do not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, what we just studied. It was in that moment it all hit me. I was entering a building for one hour a week less than 1% of the time I'm given. And thinking I had done my part as a Christian, I wasn't living out a single truth in the verse. I was physically going to church, but that was it. After becoming aware of this, I started serving in the guest services, like our welcome ministry, then leading a small group, and I began to invest in relationships with the people around me. These people were motivating me, pushing me to grow in my faith, and to grow as a leader. They loved me through some of the hardest times of my life. I wanted more of this. This is the church, a body of Christ followers doing life together. What this young man discovered is that he needed to quit going to church and instead be the church. Let's pray together and then celebrate how we become part of this amazing body. Father in heaven, we are um, first of all called into relationship with you, and we thank you for the cross that put us into connection, that there is a new and living way that we can draw near to you. Thank you, Lord. But thank you, Lord, that uh, when you called us to yourself, you called many others, and so you called us also into each other's lives. Pray that we would uh, be faithful as part of your family, to encourage and receive encouragement, to exhort and receive exhortation, to be stimulated to love and good deeds, because we have been connected, as you intended, to your body. In Jesus' name, amen.